Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to listen to you speak to us now. And so, Lord, would you help us in our hearts um, to open them so that we might receive your word and be transformed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, good to see you this morning. And uh, my name is Liam, one of the ministers here. Uh, And um, we're kicking off today uh, a new sermon series in the book of Mark. Uh, One of the great things about the Gospel of Mark is its simplicity of structure. I love the the Gospel of Mark because it's kind of a book of two halves. The first half is about the identity of Jesus being the mighty Messiah and Son of God. And the second half um, we see is about his mission. What did he come to do? Why did he come to earth? And one of the difficulty things with, with Jesus that the disciples find is that how do they understand Jesus as both the mighty Messiah and yet this suffering servant? Peter confesses, Jesus, you're the king. But then he rebukes Jesus because Jesus says he's going to die. We will feel the tension as we carry along in the second half of this book, trying to work out how does Jesus have both power and yet he will be crushed. And today Jesus sends a clarion call to all of us who desire to follow him. Following Jesus seems to be more about suffering than about conquering. So today we're going to look at what does it mean to follow Jesus And um, we're going to see what this particular passage has to say about that. So the first thing to say about what does it mean to follow Jesus is this. Following Jesus is letting go of making your own meaning and purpose. Following Jesus is letting go of making your own meaning and purpose. We are no longer self-made men and women and our identity isn't defined by looking inward or even looking out to the world. Uh, To follow Jesus is to give up self-interest. Have a look at verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, "Whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Um, We live in a time um, where if you want to find yourself, um, people will say you need to look within. If you want to know who you really are, you need to listen to your own thoughts and go along with your own feelings. And people will say, well, that's what it means to be your authentic self. But the problem with that is that we're answerable to no one and free to do whatever our evil hearts dictate. And it's dangerous For two reasons. It assumes that humanity are innocent and it makes us see people who disagree with us as threats. And in a chapter earlier in Mark, Jesus reveals that the problem of society is not to do with what's around us, but actually it's to do with what's in us. The problem is to do with our evil hearts. We all have the capacity to do evil. It's lurking there underneath our flesh and our bones. There's nothing authentic or good about listening to the evil desires of our own hearts. And so Jesus calls us, if you want to follow me, 
You need to let go of determining your own meaning and your own purpose. Uh, have you heard of the monkey trap? You know, bush hunt- hunters catch monkeys with a, a surprisingly simple trap. It's a jar with a small opening tied to a tree and there's a large piece of the monkey's favourite food inside and when the monkey reaches to get the food, they can't pull their hand out um, as long as they're holding on to the fruit. And even seeing the danger of the hunter approaching it is not enough to scare the monkey into dropping the fruit and making an escape. Um, Jesus is asking us to let go of defining ourselves, let go of making up our own meaning. And when we let go and let Jesus define us and give us our meaning and purpose, that's when we'll be freed. That's when we won't be trapped. But Jesus is also calling us not to let the world define what is valuable and important. Have a look at verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Uh, Timothy Keller writes, Every culture points to certain things and says, If you gain those, if you acquire or achieve those, then you'll have a self. You'll know you're valuable. But Jesus is saying, Don't build your identity based on this world. It might be that the world says, you're a somebody if you've got a family and you've got kids. Or you're a somebody because of the certain work that you do. Or you're a somebody because you've got a fulfilling relationship or a a worthwhile career. But Jesus warns us, if you base who you are on this world, it's never enough. You can gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul. And what happens when your children despise you? You lose your job. Well, if you base it on that, then you lose yourself. You can't build your life on the world's approval either. Have a look at verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So not only we can't build the meaning of our lives on what the world values, but also what the world approves. Because if we are ashamed of Jesus' words, it's because the world looks on and doesn't agree with us and shames us because you're the ones who believe Jesus, what Jesus says. And Jesus warns us, don't build your life on your parents' approval or your children's approval or your boss's approval or your peers' approval or even the... The, the, the village neighbourhood's approval. But instead, Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and find your own meaning and purpose in me, Jesus, and not the world. And so he invites us to, to let go of making our own purpose and meaning, but taking up a new purpose and meaning in the King and his cross. And that's the second step to following Jesus, is letting the king and his cross define us. So we let Jesus define us, but ultimately the the instrument that he dies on defines us. So verse 34 again. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves, 
And the, the part I want to focus on is this part, and take up their cross and follow me. Um, we're to take up our cross. The cross of Christ is to define us. But before we let the cross of Christ define us, we need to admit how much we need the cross of Christ first. See, to take up the cross is first of all to remember how much you need the cross. The cross needs to be firstly an instrument of salvation before it becomes an instruction for those who are saved. No amount of good deeds can pay for your soul. The world and what it offers cannot redeem your soul. Only Jesus and his perfect sacrifice is enough to buy back your soul. So before you take up the cross as a way of life, have you accepted the cross as the only way to save your life? And it's only when you accept that the king of the universe gave himself utterly for you, it's only then when you'll be willing to let him define your life and willing to submit to him utterly. I think for some of us, we might tend to negotiate with Jesus. Uh, we might negotiate with people in, <clears throat> in authority. But remember, uh, this king didn't stay on his throne. He humbled himself for our benefit and he died on a cross. And it's because of this great humility that we welcome and submit to him as our king and let his cross define us. And so what does it mean to let Jesus define us? Well, it's to repent and that's to hand the direction and formation of our lives and our consciences over to him. And it's not just the stuff about not lying and not cheating, but it's the big stuff in our day and age as well. It's about how we relate to one another and it's about our sexuality. Jesus now defines us. When we take up our cross and follow him, The cross now defines us. And taking up your cross means you die to self-determination, you die to control of your own life and die to using other people for your own gain. And when we take up the cross, we're no longer living for our self-fulfilment but a life of self-giving. It's not an optional extra for the Christian. Self-giving is our way of life. No longer do we do things for others in order to make us feel needed or to fulfil our, uh, ourselves. We now serve others for their own sake and for their joy. We serve out of a love and appreciation for Jesus. Well, you've probably heard it's better to give than to receive. Why on earth is that? Well, I think it's this, isn't it? Because the fulfilling life is actually the life of giving, not self-preservation. It's of self-sacrifice. The cross reminds us that the orbit of life is not around me, but around Jesus who came to serve others. And so when the cross defines us, it means that we don't let our feelings and our thoughts define us. When you let the cross define you, when you are put down, when you're made to feel little, Think of Jesus dying on the cross. He didn't retaliate, but he also did not retreat. 
He willingly laid down his life for the sake of his enemies. And so we let the cross define us if we're despised or insulted. We might look to our feelings and thoughts, maybe for solace or maybe we turn to them in self-pity, but we don't need to. We don't need to withdraw or retaliate, but we're reminded that the cross opens us up to be gracious and offer reconciling love, offer the hand of friendship to our enemies. This is how the cross defines us. Well, so far we've seen Jesus calls us to let go of self-determination and self-fulfilment and embrace him as the king and the life of sacrifice and self-giving as our life. But let's be honest, it's costly, isn't it, to to live a life of sacrifice and self-giving and um, the world looks at us and thinks we're stupid and foolish. So what sustains us to be able to live a life of self-giving and a life of self-sacrifice? Because we're surrounded by a world that wants to say, you should go for power. You should go for glory. Ambition is good. Self-promotion is right. We're in the age of comfort. How do we, following Christ, go against the flow? But more than that, what happens when you have doubts? Is this life worth it? Is it really worth to deny myself, to take up my cross, to look out for others? What will give you the confidence to keep going? Well, I want to say that the answer to that question is in chapter 9. And to hone in on the answer, it's actually, it's this. Um, Jesus gives us an intimacy with God. And the disciples, they see and hear the intimacy that Jesus has with his Father. When we come to chapter 9, the story shifts. It shifts to a high mountain. And there are three disciples who get a glimpse of the intimacy between God the Father and God the Son. But before we see and hear the the intimacy of the Father and the Son, um, we get a glimpse of the glory, uh, power emanating from Jesus himself. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, for those of you who like clean things, you're probably wondering, I'd like to get some of that bleach or whatever it is. But the point isn't how good Jesus' washing is. The point is, and we see God's glory emanating from Jesus. And it's not a mistake that Moses is there because this uh, reminds us of of an account where Moses wants to see God's glory. And Moses is not able to see God's glory directly because if he were to see God's glory directly, he would die. And yet, here these three disciples are able to look upon the glory of God in Jesus and not die. And so we're, first of all, encouraged to see that Jesus here produces the unsurpassable 
glory of God. This is the Messiah, no doubt. But when we see this, it's also a reminder that actually uh, Jesus can be both glorious and suffer. The image here reminds us that suffering and glory are not like water and oil, as in for lots of us we think that they do not mix, but Jesus shows us that they do go together. They are not polar opposites. Jesus shows us that glory and suffering are compatible. And so Peter, James and John see the glory of Jesus. But they don't just see the glory of Jesus. They see the intimacy and hear the intimacy between the Father and the Son. Let's read verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. The cloud represents the presence of God. God appears in vowed form. And the disciples share in this moment, not only are they in the presence of God, but they aren't dead. And I think this in some ways explains Peter's funny comments in verses 5 and 6 and also attests to the authenticity of this event because why would you include such ridiculous comments like, hey, let's put up shelters. But the key bit that we find out is in verse 6. Peter is absolutely petrified. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because if you're in the presence of God, you ought to be petrified because of our sin. But they're not dead. And all this is to suggest that, well, Jesus is the bridge between us and God. It's only because he's come to do the work of dying and being forsaken by God on the cross that we can receive the gift of intimacy between God the Father and God the Son. Disciples shouldn't be able to stand in God's presence, but Jesus will go on and he will achieve this type of intimacy between us and God by dying. He will share his divine nature with us so that we can also receive the intimacy between the Father and the Son. But not only do they stand in the presence of God, but they hear God's voice declaring how proud he is of his son and how honoured and how much love he has for his son from all eternity, but especially so now because Jesus is willing to suffer and die. It's a declaration of love. This is my son whom I love because he was willing to give up his life. Listen to him. Listen to him. And so it's an encouragement, isn't it, to the disciples to listen to Jesus. When Jesus says he must suffer, don't rebuke him. And when Jesus calls you to suffer, don't rebuke him. He must go through the rejection and scorn and then he says that those who follow him must take the same path. It's supposed to be an encouragement for all of us to not... Just listen, but to obey. It's not easy to listen to these words. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And when the world looks like it's winning and you feel like you're losing, it's especially hard, isn't it? But what sustains and fortifies our resolve to keep denying ourselves and taking up our cross? It's the fact that we, can, we are in the presence of God in Christ. 
we have the intimacy to call God our Father. Jesus took on himself all your sin and your guilt and your shame. He endured that divine fury and yet on your behalf he ascended into the inner circle of God's life and he goes there for you. It's only because of Jesus these disciples are brought into the inner circle of God's life on the mountain and even more so it's only because of Jesus that we too are brought into the inner circle of God. We have the, the, the Lord God saying to us, you are my son and you are my daughter with whom I love. And so when the world belittle, belittles you, shames you, just remember this, you have God's approval, you have God's love, Knowing this and the intimacy that we have, it gives us strength to take up the call to serve and to suffer. I hope you can see that intimacy with God is not the opposite of serving and suffering. Remember, God declared how much he loved his son because he was willing to suffer. Christ's suffering and service does not mean God does not love him. But it expresses Jesus' desire because of his intimacy with his Father to obey him and to love us in the process. So let's remember that this divine intimacy Jesus shares with us is a gift. Well, let's finish. How do you respond to the call of Jesus to deny yourself and take up your cross? And how do you respond to the intimacy of this glorious God? Well, we can rejoice in suffering, isn't it? We rejoice in the grace Jesus has shown us and we pass on this divine glory that we've received, that out of the fullness of this intimacy we can empty ourselves and adopt cross-shaped lives towards others and in every circumstance imaginable. I'll pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the faithfulness of your son that in loving service he went to the cross so that we might have an intimacy with you uh, where we know that we are loved and approved. And so out of this intimacy, would you give us strength and a resolve to hear the call of Jesus to not find our meaning in and of ourselves or even in what the world suggests or values, but to be defined completely by our King and defined to love and to serve by the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.